Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I have to say it's wonderful to be home and to be back here in the church this morning, but I also have to be honest with all of you, as a priest should always be. After the summer we've all been through, it was pretty darn nice to get away for the last two weeks as well. I was incredibly thankful after two years of this pandemic to finally be able to get back on an airplane and get over to my second home on Shirkin Island to join Audrey and Aoife and to have some good time with my 86-year young father-in-law, my sister-in-law, three of my brother-in-laws, and a whole slew of nephews, nieces, and good friends. It was without question a regenerative and restorative time away for me. There's just something in that cool sea air that wafts and blows through West Cork in Ireland that truly reaches all the way into my heart and soul and breathes new life into it every time I'm blessed to be able to be there. And I'm incredibly thankful that this parish, under the great leadership of our excellent staff and Mother Sarah Minton, could give me those two weeks off to go and breathe all of that in once again. And every time I go to Ireland, I can almost guarantee you that something unexpected will happen to me while I'm there. I mean, the very first time I went over, there was that whole unexpected experience of meeting my wife, Audrey. That was definitely not what I thought I was going to Ireland to do that year. And every time since, I have had someone suddenly show up that I wasn't exactly expecting to see, or I've ended up going somewhere that I didn't know we were going to go. And last week was no different. Only this time, that which I wasn't expecting, caught me a little more off guard and forced me to suddenly need to snap back into my priest mode and wrestle with some church theology. Last weekend, Audrey's very Catholic father asked me, his very Protestant son-in-law, to say Mass for him inside his home on Sunday afternoon. Now, as an Episcopal priest, I have offered the Holy Eucharist in people's homes many, many, many times over the past 14 years. I've also offered the Eucharist in hospital rooms and on front porches and back porches and even a few horse farms in Kentucky and on a beach with a tree stump as my altar and a coffee mug as my chalice for our youth group during our trip to the Bahamas several years back. It is never, ever a problem for me to offer the Holy Eucharist. But being asked to say Mass seemed to me in that moment of surprise to be something quite different from all those times I'd done the Holy Eucharist before. First, there is the simple, unfortunate fact that the Roman Catholic Church doesn't exactly encourage its church members to ever receive Holy Communion from any other Christian cleric church, or tradition. At the same time, to be fair, we Episcopalians and Anglicans don't exactly approve or agree with the Roman Catholics in the way we understand Holy Communion and what occurs when the prayer is said by a priest over the bread and the wine. 
It's that whole disagreement between us over something called transubstantiation. If you need to know about that, come to my confirmation class. (laughs) Which the Catholic Church takes very seriously. And, as you've probably noticed, has even gotten a little bit political with in recent days here in our own country. Next, there is the whole issue of how the Mass is said in the Roman Catholic Church and how it differs from the way we offer the liturgy of the Holy Eucharist from the Book of Common Prayer in the Episcopal Church. There is no question that they are both very, very similar, but they are certainly not exactly the same. Every Saturday night when I'm in Ireland, I try to attend with my father-in-law and Audrey's family the Catholic Mass at beautiful St. Mona's Church on Shurkin Island. I don't have too much trouble when I'm there following along and making the correct responses during the Mass, especially after all the time I've also been blessed with spending with the Trappist monks here in South Carolina and in Kentucky. I even remember each time not to add the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Even though Catholics say the exact same words just a few seconds later during the Mass after the priest adds a short concluding prayer. The problem for me last week was that in knowing the Catholic Mass as I did, I knew that if I offered the Holy Eucharist from the prayer book as I have been ordained and licensed to do as a priest in the Episcopal Church, it just wasn't going to match up and be easy to follow for my Catholic in-laws. And in addition to that, knowing the Catholic position on Holy Communion, I certainly did not want to be the cause for my wonderful 86-year-old father-in-law to be chastised or, God forbid, excommunicated for fraternizing and taking communion from a Protestant. I mean, let's face it, I was in Ireland. Not exactly a country known for good ecumenical relationships between Catholic and Protestant Christians. Yet, as much as I fretted and worried over it last weekend, the more I knew I could never turn down the request to offer the Eucharist for my beloved father-in-law. Not only is he a man I have grown to love deeply and to respect tremendously, he is also a man who I know has struggled with his own church and his own faith for over 86 years. He knew exactly how he felt about what he was asking me to do when he asked me. And he was not the least bit concerned with Christian dogma when it came to the opportunity to be blessed with the most sacred sacrament of the Christian church, Catholic, Anglican, or otherwise, being offered for him and his family under his own roof. For him to be able to invite Jesus to come in and be in his home was way more important than whether or not I was Catholic enough to offer the correct prayers. And the more I took it all in and began to realize what a great honor it was to have him ask me, his son-in-law, to offer up that sacred mystery for him, the more I stopped worrying over whether or not it would be Anglican enough for me. So last Sunday, with the Holy Spirit as my guide, I managed to find a way, I think and hope, to both respect the Roman Catholic tradition 
and make the liturgy easy and familiar for my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, my Roman Catholic, half-adopted Episcopalian wife, and several of her good friends who were visiting to be able to follow the liturgy. While at the same time, I managed to hold on to our own beloved Episcopal prayer book, Worship and Tradition. When it was finished, it was without question for me, one of the most special, meaningful, Christ-filled moments of my entire religious life. Even if there were only a few people in the room that day, and even if I was terribly nervous as I worked through it the entire time. And brothers and sisters, in the midst of the pandemic that we've all been struggling through and everything else this world has thrown at us, both in this country and in the country of Ireland, there was no question to me that it was just what all of us needed to have together. Jesus was present, and in that moment, we were no longer Catholics or Protestants. We were simply a family of Christians reaching out to be closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when I read the scripture lessons assigned for us today, as I landed in Jacksonville on Wednesday night, the readings that just happened to be set up for this particular Sunday following my very Catholic Episcopalian Sunday last weekend, I felt again the presence of Jesus speaking to me as his priest and servant and maybe speaking to all of us Christians in this war-torn, pestilence-ridden world. For right there, in two of the assigned passages in the Hebrew book of Numbers from the Old Testament and in the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament, something similar to what happened to me and my father-in-law was also happening to both Joshua and Moses and to John and to Jesus. In that great story from the book of Numbers, those cranky Israelites are at it again. They're complaining about the food that they have to eat. They've been wandering through the wilderness eating the very manna from heaven given to them every morning by God himself. You'd think manna from heaven would be good enough. But no, the Israelites are apparently missing their cucumbers and they're missing their melons and they're missing their leeks and their onions and their garlic. And of course, as we all probably would be as well, they're missing a little bit of meat. Well, Moses is fed up this morning with this whiny bunch, and he goes and lays it all before the Lord. And so to give Moses a helping hand and to take some of the pressure off the back of Moses, God has Moses call in 70 of the Israelite elders. And the Bible says God moves in a cloud and takes some of God's spirit off of Moses and he places it on those 70 elders to be prophets in that moment and to go out and try to wrangle up the rabble among the Israelites. But something happens in that moment that's unexpected. Joshua, Moses' right-hand man, finds out that two guys, Eldad and Medad, who did not show up for the official ceremony of the 70 elders, are out there themselves in the camp prophesying and wrangling the rabble as well. Joshua's very concerned about this, and he goes to tired, worn-out Moses and asks Moses to stop these men right away. But Moses, brothers and sisters, sees it quite differently from Joshua. Moses doesn't seem to care that Eldad and Medad weren't officially licensed to prophesy. 
Moses knows that God moves in God's own way and at God's own time and not always in the way we expect or anticipate. So Moses says to Joshua, are you jealous for my sake? Know that I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. In a very similar way in the gospel reading this morning, the apostle John has been out out among the rabble of the ancient Palestinian people. And he's been shocked to find someone who is not an official card carrying apostle casting out demons in Jesus name. John then goes and finds Jesus and says to Jesus, teacher, we tried to stop this guy because he was not following us. To which Jesus replies, do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If only all of us Christians could remember those passages of Scripture when we find ourselves fretting over our fellow brothers and sisters who are not exactly doing it the way we like to do it or following us in our way of faith. I certainly had my moments last Sunday and last weekend in Ireland feeling a little more like Joshua and a little more like John than I want to say. I'm not saying that there's something wrong with wanting to hold on to our wonderful traditions and the ways we worship and have liturgy. They have presented all of us with the Holy Spirit, haven't they? And they have brought all of us closer to Jesus in prayer and discipleship on each of our spiritual journeys. And trust me, God loves orderly, organized worship and religion. If you don't believe that, go back and read all the laws and directives God lays out for the Israelites in the Old Testament. But we can never, ever forget that we are Christians first and God and Jesus Christ calls us as Christians to find a way to be one, to be the hands and feet and body of Jesus together. The divisions within the Christian church at this age and time are our greatest of sins. And can you only imagine what this world would be like? If we were finding ways to join together rather than ways to pull each other apart. I had my experience of that firsthand in my father-in-law's home on Shirkin Island last Sunday. And it became for me in that moment a blessing that I will never forget. I'm not sure if I was Eldad or Medad or if I was Joshua or John. In the end, none of that mattered. What did matter the most is that the name of Jesus was declared and worshiped in that house and Christ's own body and blood was offered up and shared among a tiny gathering of God's dedicated children together. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord put his spirit on them all. The good news, brothers and sisters, is that we are all prophets. And if you will allow God to put his spirit in you, you can have that spirit fully as well.
Thanks be to God. Amen.